Hi everybody, Corey Rabin here. Welcome back to Crosstalk. We have a great guest today. So I want to talk to you a little bit before we start the interview about something one of the main texts about recovery talks about is when anything's bothering me, whether it's great or small, usually there's something wrong with me. And in order to be able to make changes and feel better on a day-to-day basis, what we do is we have to change our attitudes, change what we do. We have to own the errors, the mistakes that we've made, and by doing that, we can then change them. We can make amends. We can rectify the situation. Um, The process of doing that uh, requires some courage, get over some fear, but it's a regenerating process. It gets us to grow again. It gets us to feel different things, and it turns the page on things that we might regret and resentments are something that's poisonous to everybody, but especially to people that are maintaining their sobriety or trying to get sober. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to be content. We're trying to be happy. We're trying to wake up with our popping out of the bed, and then when we go to sleep, our head hits the pillow out like a light. So the question to ask is whether or not something is bothering you. Our conscience is the best guide for whether or not we need to do something about these situations, these mistakes that we may have made. So what am I saying? I want you to own the things that are bothering you, do something about it, take action, rectify the situation as best you can. It doesn't really matter whether or not the other person accepts your amends or not. What matters is what you do. That's the only thing that you can control. That connects us with ourselves and connects us with other people and enhances the likelihood that we're gonna feel good on a moment to moment basis. These are all things I've learned, people taught me, so all I'm doing is regurgitating the stuff that I learned. So I hope it helps you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today's podcast, Crosstalks Now Welcomes, Ian Fidance. I was a chronic relapser. when, When I went to my first meeting, I was so out of the loop it was an anonymous program so i told everyone my name was tom i started drinking in seventh grade and i'll never forget i was at a friend's house and they put a bunch of liquor in a shot glass and they go let's get in drunk and they gave me a shot and i went up and i remember in the bed going oh my god I want to do this all the time. I drank again when I was in eighth grade, uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, I didn't drink again until ninth grade, and I got so messed up at a party, I fake sick for a week. And after that, I I was very involved in straight edge, which is a a belief of no alcohol, no drugs, no smoking till death. Straight edge was such a positive thing, and then when I went off to college, I found it was so isolating because all my friends drank. So I would go out and I would just go home by 10 p.m but I was so embarrassed I started drinking alone and hiding it and it was you know pretty much off to the races I'm telling you after six months it was we gotta make sure Ian doesn't get drunk you know just like being a complete mess it was an incredibly incredibly bad drunk my nickname was a liability your your nickname was a liability the liability the liability liability yeah like literally have to call my friend's parents to find out where they were so I could show up because no one was answering my phone calls. My friends would bring a shopping cart out to the bar and they'd put me in it and push me home. Wow. So 2009 you go to rehab. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you start going to meetings, do you, do you stay sober or, or for a while? Or? I stayed sober for four months and then... I off the deep end again and then sober again, had to move into a halfway house and then uh, started comedy in 2011. And comedy became my addiction, my higher power. Yes, I'm aware I have a large forehead, okay? My forehead looks like a kneecap, all right? If anybody works in advertising, I'm selling this space up here. And then when I moved back to New York in 2012, I had already started drinking, but I had started drinking mouthwash. Well, I was working in a restaurant and I would always have a stomach ache. And I had heard that to help a stomach ache is bitters. And bitters has alcohol in it, bitters and ginger ale. So I'd be like, I have a stomach ache. I need some bitters and, and ginger ale, you know. And I do that and then I put it next to someone's drink that had booze in it and I'd act flustered and, and in a rush and I'd grab their drink and drink it and go, oh, whoops, I drank the wrong drink, you know. Boom, boom, Mancini, I was off to the races. Started drinking. Drinking is your story. You had no drugs or anything. Oh, it was drugs, but drinking, I drank alcoholically like a heroin addict shoots heroin. I, I was a gutter drunk, and I would I, I woke up with my head on a step on the Lower East Side to a homeless man going, Ian, Ian, it's Charlie. Charlie, we, we met early tonight. You got to get the hell out of here, man. You're sleeping on the street. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And I downloaded Grinder on my phone. <laughs> As, as, as I was drunk that night, you know. Yeah. For people that aren't in, in in recovery, they say that there are six words that summarize the twelve steps. Um, you're not God. Trust God. Uh, clean house. Mm. Kind of figure out what's going on. Make amends, mm -hmm. but clean house inside, and help others. That's really the the principles of, of a, any 12-step program. You're, you're totally right. I, I mean, it's it's like playing poker. Worrying about your last hand is going to mess up your next, Correct. you know. Living in the day is so important, and living in the present, and it's, it's one of the hardest things to do. One day at a time. All we have is today, you know. That is so important for sobriety, for living, for acceptance, for dealing with anything, and it's the easiest and hardest concept to wrap your head around. My manager says that. He says, all of our problems haven't even happened yet. You know? Right. And and he also says, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. Right. And that's very important to me as well. Thank God. So just to, to go back to a, a little bit of the, the nitty gritty. So you, you stayed sober for a little while, 2012. What happened between then and the time you actually got this thing? You know, I moved to New York again for, I moved to New York in 2003, left in 2008 and came back in 2012. Fortunately, I got this, you know, good paying office job. And matter of fact, when I got hired, I had a bottle of whiskey and I kept it in my car. And I go, okay, look, go to this meeting, drink a bite, and then afterwards you can have your whiskey, all right? So I go, okay, so I go to the meeting, I go to my car and the bottle of whiskey had exploded. And I go, oh my God, this is a sign from God. How does this happen? This is something telling me to not drink. And then I go, actually it's telling you you need to go out and get another bottle of whiskey. <laughs> so I went out, got another bottle of whiskey. I get loaded that night. I'm drinking on the street. I get to the subway, I'm drinking on the subway. And uh, I get in an altercation with these two people that are nodding out on heroin. 
and I'm yelling, give me heroin. When I throw my bottle cap at him and an undercover grabs me on the train, he uh, puts me in handcuffs and goes, look, if you got nothing, um, I'll let you go, throw your booze out. Turns out I had a warrant because I had another drinking public ticket that I didn't pay. So they locked me up and I'm like, I have a job interview tomorrow, I need this job, oh my God, you know? And I get out, I get home, and I gotta go to this job interview. So what do you do when you have a job interview and you get out of jail and you haven't slept all night? Cocaine. So I just get all yacked up and I go to the interview and the guy's like, so Ian, welcome. Um, How's your morning been? I was like, it's fine. I'm just getting these flashbacks of being in a jail cell, eating a ham and mayo sandwich, you know, right. guys doing push-ups around me. I'm doing coke, and I'm like, it was great. Good morning. Everything's fine, you know. So I got that job, and I just, uh, you know, I would go to the liquor store before work, drink on the way to work, puke in the bathroom, go for a smoke break, get another bottle, go for lunch, disappear. And it got to the point where I ended up waking up, blacking out, naked in a bathroom with another woman doing coke off a metro card, waking up bleeding on the street. I, I remember puking the toilet, blood coming out of my face, and I'm like, this is, I gotta, holy fuck. There's a hint. Yeah, that was it. And I called Greenwich House in New York City, and I said, I need to be seen right now, I'm gonna kill myself. And they said, okay, we'll see you got in there and they put me on naltrexone. And for those people that don't know, naltrexone does what? It's almost like an opiate blocker. The naltrexone in tandem with going to group therapy and therapy twice a week saved my life. It finally got rid of that obsession. And the naltrexone, when your wires are crossed, your alcoholism, your addiction, it almost like undoes the tangling and connects the wires to where that feeling of like, I need, I need, is, is no longer there. And I was there for, for years. That's, that's that, and I've been sober since April of uh, 2015. Uh, during COVID, it was incredibly tough, and the Zoom meeting saved me. But daily maintenance of, you know, something that's so important to me is, is I, I'm in group chats with my sober friends. Um, constantly trying to stay grateful and aware that I'm on borrowed time, I should be dead, and everything I have is a gift. I look back at that fondly and I try to recreate that in terms of, you know, my, my gratitude and acceptance and, you know, going to meetings and, and finding sober guys when I'm in different towns on the road. I mean, it's simple, it's sobriety. As long as I stay sober, I mean, the, the promises are the truth. It is a life beyond my wildest dreams. The things that are happening now, I, I could not have even manifested because I didn't even imagine they were possible. You know, I was at dinner at my favorite restaurant, Trattoria della Arte, and I was sitting with, with one of my friends. The waiter comes over, and he starts asking me about the stuff, and I said, I'm an alcoholic. He said, well, me too. We start talking for 10 minutes, yeah. and when he left, she said to me, she said, you guys are so lucky. Wherever you go, you have this kind of yeah. connection, this fellowship. You don't even have to say anything about yeah. anything. And you have this thing that kind of goes with you wherever mm -hmm. you are. I was on a cruise ship, um, a Broadway cruise in, in April. 
and at 2.30 every afternoon, people, strangers from all over the world are sitting down talking together and the, the kind of connection that we have, and that's really what keeps me sober. Yeah. Gratitude is absolutely essential mm-hmm. and connection. Connection yeah. is what, what is the difference between... Connection and community. And drinking and drugging, that's isolating. Just like you said, you did it all on your own. Yeah. You, you didn't want anybody to know you, for whatever reasons, but we isolate when we're doing that. We're in our own heads. We're yelling I mean, these... I can, I can still isolate you yeah. know, with, with depression and sleep. Are you sleep like a drug? I have a brain that convinces me no one wants me around. And then I go somewhere and people are like, hey, I, I'm so glad to see you, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, see, man, just show up and everything's fine. And that's what's so important is showing up. You just show up and every time I go, I don't want to go out on the night and force myself to do something I don't want to do, get into that uncomfortability. And once I get on the other side, it's amazing. Amazing. All right, I have one problem with this whole interview, okay? What? There is no word uncomfortability. It's discomfort. I've been saying that for... What? There, I don't think uncomfortability is in the English language. Sergio, Sergio, look Go, it up. Check it out. We, we, right now. Our expert is going to find that out. But Uncomfortability is a word. Is it? It's got to be. Is comfortability Go, a word? look, now. <laughs> All right, I'm being asked by my producer to ask you some questions. Let's go. Is uncomfortability a word? (laughs) Yes. Do you have another means of intoxicating yourself now? I use sex as a drug to get outside myself, and I found that it's all a distraction. Whenever I have a deadline, whenever I have something important to do, why don't I go on a nap? Why don't I jerk off? Why don't I find someone? Let me just have sex and then distract myself, and then I'll feel better. You know, for me, one of the things that I find intoxicates me is laughing. It puts me into a place that nothing else puts me. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that. I truly, when I'm on stage and I feel totally uh, at ease, and and that is my my zen place. You know what I found out? I found out the person that I was running away from is exactly who I want to be. Yes, yes. And that little kid that I was before all these things happened, before I started putting stuff in my body to alter my state of mind, that kid would be so stoked to be right next to me along on this ride with me. If you could time travel, what would you tell the old Ian? I love you and it's going to be okay. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. I want to just close with a a book that I recently read. It's called Get Up. Bucky Sinister is the author. The epilogue's called Live Like No One Dares. People with a belief in an afterlife have a strong reason to get sober. It doesn't matter how you live your life. I didn't always think so. I used to think that with six billion people in the world, individuals didn't really matter that much or matter to humanity as a whole. But in in a sense, you don't live with that many people in the world. Your world's made up of only a few hundred people with a few thousand in your periphery. Your actual involved world is not very big and you're a significant part of it. Everyone gets a life. That's part of the deal. For some, it lasts only minutes. For others, it may last a hundred years. There are no guarantees on how long or how good it is. But we have no proof of that. What is true, no matter what your religion, no matter what your philosophy, is that we get at least one. One life for everyone. I had a life I almost wasted. Every new person I meet, every new movie I see, every book I read, are all things I would not have had had I not gotten my shit together. So I ask you, Take a look at what you're doing right now. Take a look at what those things are that you can be passionate about and have the courage 
get past the fear and go do those things that are the things that you want to do because we're only here one time and as the book just said as Bucky Sinister says we only are given one life not track those others but while we're here let's make it a good one I want to thank everybody for listening thank you for watching and we'll see you next time